This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com. So there's five aspects of ROI for podcasting, and that's not return on investment, that's return on influence. Because what a lot of advisors don't realize is if they don't become more influential in their community's life, somebody's going to take their place. Today on Bridging the Gap, I am joined by one of the biggest names in the marketing game and someone that I follow and have followed for so long, Matt Holleran. Matt is the CRO and co-founder of Proudmouth, a podcasting company and popular host of his podcast, Top Advisor Marketing Podcast, which I've been fortunate enough to be on, and we had a great conversation. Matt fills our conversation here on Bridging the Gap with so many marketing tips to help you leverage your social media marketing, client marketing. And we talk about the importance of podcasting and the importance of marketing to your niche. We also dive into marketing tactics to strengthen your platform and what you could be doing wrong to damage your social platform for your viewers and followers. This episode is filled with gold, and I promise you, you don't want to miss this episode if you are looking to elevate your marketing game. So without further ado, let's jump into this podcast with my good friend, Matt Holleran. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Matt, welcome to the Matt and Matt Show today. Matt, welcome to Bridging the Gap, man. Uh, so excited to have you. As I was saying before, I follow all your stuff. How are you, man? I'm stoked to learn from you today. I'm good. It, this is a perfect, this is actually the day that I always do all of my recordings, Matt. So I'm already in the podcast frame of mind. So I don't know if my team actually uh, helped f- facilitate that, but uh, this is my happy place, brother. I'm happy to be here with you. Oh, that's so good, man. Well, I always am following your stuff. You've been such a big advocate of podcasting, especially within the industry and you know, you've done, you've got such a following and I think we can learn so much from you around marketing. We've been talking a lot about niche marketing on the podcast as well, like focusing on your niche. I'm excited to dive into that. And, you know, I'm excited to dive into why you've invested so much into podcasting, right? Why, why are you such a believer in there? We're going to go down all these avenues, which I'm stoked about. And I always like to start the podcast by learning your journey, right? I think that understanding your journey and what got you to where you are is, is always really intriguing because we all got to our place where we are today in our unique way. And I'm going to ask you to share your journey. But before I always ask to share your journey, I always like to ask the the 13-year-old Matt, you know, what was the 13-year-old Matt wanting to do? What I, I don't assume it was to start a podcast company. And so tell us there and then tell us how you got from 13 to today, which is only about 10 years, I know, but just to how we got to today. Yeah. The older I get to realize the story needs to get shorter and shorter. It's funny that you bring that up because I started doing radio at 13 years old, and this is exactly what the hell I wanted to do. I remember getting off the Madman Matt Halloran show on uh, WKDS, which was the radio station at my high school. And I ran into my the lady who ran the program, our advisor, her name was Chris Kirkpatrick. And I said, Mr. Kirkpatrick, I know what I want to be when I grow up. And she said, man, I hope it's not a DJ. And I was like, oh. So at 13, the first time I ever thought I knew what I wanted to do when I grew up, she dashed that across the rocks very, very quickly. But I did radio all through high school, all through college. Uh, I actually uh, competed in something called forensics, which I, it's not everywhere in the country. 
But I did radio broadcasting. And basically what that was is they give you a pile of news stories and you had to take a ruler and rip them off and tape them onto pieces of paper. You had 15 minutes to do a five minute newscast. And I actually did really well with that. And it's, this is something I extemporaneous speaking and, and, and being behind the microphone. It really is my happy place. And so let's expand on that, right? So you you started in the radio. I mean, that's an awesome competition. I love that, right? Like figure out how to put together a five-minute news story. I mean, everybody thinks it's so simple to put together a news story, but it is not, right? To make it valuable and comprehensive, like that's difficult. The only reason I say that is I was in high school newspaper and I was terrible at it and it's very hard. But now, what led you into this industry and and into podcasting and, and helping others with that? Where did you find that opportunity and that kind of path and journey for you? So I have my master's degree as a therapist and a life coach. And so I opened my own therapy practice. I worked with families, kids, and adults with severe and persistent mental illness. We're going to talk about niches. So you can see right there, I was way too broad. But I was in a small town in Nebraska, and you know I had to really take anybody who could come in. And it ended up I wasn't very good at it. So I had spent $70,000 in graduate school to get this master's degree uh, and then found out when I was actually in the field, I wasn't a very good therapist. And there's a very specific reason why I wasn't is because people fundamentally don't want to change. And you were paying me to come in and help me change your life. Uh, and then you didn't do it. Uh, and I... <laughs> I was a bad business person because I was like, ah, get the hell out. So anyway, so basically what ended up happening was I had a really low point in my career as a therapist. So my wife said to me as I'm crying uh, driving home, because I did that every day, because that's how you get rid of all of the horrible stuff people tell you. It's just, I, that's how I was able to decompress. It was very functional. But I would come home and my wife was like, geez, how long can you do this? So the next day I went into my therapy office and I typed in life coach into monster.com and two things came up. Uh, and I wanted to be in the old greater Omaha area. One was something called Vistage, uh, which is a coaching program that cost $250,000 to buy a franchise. I was broke. And the other one was something called Peak Coaching, which was this little known guy at the time named Ron Carson, who was LPL's number one rep, who had started a coaching program. And so that's how I got into financial. So I was a coach for Ron Carson. It's now called Carson Consulting. I expect I was just at his Excel meeting a couple weeks ago. So I, I did, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 coaching calls a day in financial services. I had no financial services experience. I started doing voice work for them. I started doing audio recordings of things like their blueprinting and some of the systems things, because I really, really enjoy being behind the microphone, did a lot of public speaking. And then I met, so, so then I went on independent, blah, 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 fast forward about five years. And I met this guy, this crazy Canadian guy named Kirk Lowe. And I had been following him for a while, Matt. And the reason why I'd followed him is because as a, as a practice management coaching consultant, all of my advisors used to ask me about marketing and branding. I didn't know what to do. So I was like, I'm going to hitch my wagon to this dude. So him and I started figuring out what we were going to do. We entered into a pseudo partnership. He was still doing branding. I was still doing coaching. We decided to start a podcast. And then that's when the epiphany happened. No advisors doing it. Podcasting was still in infancy. This was in you know, 16, 17. We had a knack for it. I had the background in it. And it is the most convenient, easy, opt-in way to communicate with clients and prospects that are out there. And here's the deal, man. We're 5,200 episodes in. That's how many episodes we produce for financial advisors. We're on a run rate of about 175 episodes a month now. 
I've got 32 team members. They're all they do is support all of our clients. And we built it all off our podcast. That's incredible. That's, I mean, I think that there is such a, it's such a story that I I think people are like, gosh, that's like a once in a, a generation thing that you couldn't, nobody can go replicate, but you see it every day with advisors that are now doing podcasting and building a business off of that. And I want to just go there. Like, let's go down that avenue to that advisor that says, well, podcasting is not for me. My clients don't want to listen. I can't grow a business because of it. I don't even know where to start. I don't have a microphone. Why is podcasting so important? Why, how is it helping advisors grow their business today? Well, you just ask a bunch of questions there. So, uh, yeah, so answer all of them and, and answer them all in, in perfect chronological order as I ask them. Okay. So, yes, I will absolutely do that. So, there's five aspects of ROI for podcasting, and that's not return on investment, that's return on influence. Because what a lot of advisors don't realize is if they don't become more influential in their community's life, somebody's going to take their place. And in fact, we just got a study, Kirk and I just found this recently that Finfluencers, which is what they're called on Instagram and TikTok, who are not licensed professionals, are making $700,000 a year providing terrible financial advice. Because that's where people go to get financial advice. But you guys can't be there and whatever. All right, five aspects of ROI. Number one, best client communication tool you're ever going to have. It's opt-in. It's not another stupid email. And it's them hearing your voice. That's just so powerful. Number two, referability, right? Here's the deal. It's easier to refer somebody to work with your advisor, have them listen to the podcast first, feel that advisor's energy. The probability of them actually picking up the phone and then calling you and sending an appointment is exponentially higher. In fact, Bill Cates, a good friend of mine who's the referral coach, when I brought this to him because he's an old friend of mine, and I was saying, hey, dude, this is what we're going to do. He said, that is the easiest way to refer somebody. All right. All right. Number three, the content itself has value. What you're creating right now, Matt, is art. Art has value. Content has value. When you go into an advisor's office, a lot of advisors have art on their wall, generally from local artists, because you guys are super cool about that. And and local artists really appreciate that. Right. But you never say, why isn't that making me money? You don't do that because that's dumb. Right. People don't understand that storytelling is an art form. It has value. So that's number three. Number four, centers of influence. If you do it correctly, you are going to bring on centers of influence on your show. And then those centers of influence will share your show, which grows your audience and exposes you to new networks. That's how we've grown our entire business. So financial services professionals, they bring on CPAs, divorce attorneys, estate planning attorneys, real estate agents, life coaches, local business people. All of a sudden, Matt, you interview them they're going to share that show with their entire network, much like I'm going to share this show with my entire network, right? Hmm. Last but not least, net new assets. So I've got a good friend of mine. He doesn't use us, by the way. He doesn't use Proudmouth. He does it all in-house, has actually for longer than we've been around. His name is Jimmy. I just met Jimmy at a conference recently, and he he and I are are podcasting. Like We just talk podcasting. We're totally nerds about it. And I said, Jimmy, have you quantified your show? I want to know, do you actually know how much money you bring in from your podcast? And he just smiles and he goes, of course, Matt, I track everything. I was like, okay, dude, tell me. He says, I bring in a million dollars in new assets every month directly from my show on average. That's a lot of money, dude. Now that's not, that's new assets, right? So, you know, he generally charges 1% on that. 
but he has quantified it to the point where he knows that every time he does a show, he will be bringing in, in that month, a million in new assets. And he says it's all referrals. So let's dive down this, right? And I'm also, I'm semi-new to this. I mean, I've been doing this for three or four years, but that's still, I'm still an amateur at this. What what makes a good podcast? Mm. We call it the perfect podcast formula. Dude, are you like, did you like totally like, uh, anyway, uh, so you're like teeing me up for stuff. I'm really happy about this. All right. So it's the perfect podcast formula, Matt. It's education, entertainment, storytelling, call to action. Every podcast, great podcast has those four things, education, entertainment, storytelling, call to action. If your podcast has those things, that is a successful show. And the other great thing is, is if you have a guest and that guest says, that was fun, I had a good time, you're a good host, I'm telling you, that's huge. Yeah. So my mom tells me I'm a good host. So I feel like I'm really good. She listens to my show every week and I, I'm really appreciative of her. But uh, when I think about storytelling, and this is just me going to, I want to just go down this path because education, entertainment, storytelling, CTA, I get CTA, right? As an advisor, we want you to sign up. That's what they want. As a technology company, you want them to buy a product. When I think about storytelling, I think about like the Gimlet Media podcast uh, or, or serial podcast where you're doing some research and, you know, putting it all together, that's a huge investment in time, right? To, to, to many advisors, that seems to scare I'm missing the boat, I think, on that. So what is when you think about storytelling, how do you go about researching that and the investment in time and putting it together when that may not be your core skill set? I want you to tell a story about what it's like working with you, a client experience, something that happened in your life that was influential. I don't want you to have a highly produced This American Life level storytelling show. I want to say, okay, Matt, what's going on with you? What's new? How, how are you doing? Tell me, tell me something that's going on in your life. That's the story, dude. What I'm looking for in all of this in a great podcast is connection. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a connection and it's an understanding of your market, right? It's an understanding of who you are talking to. Because if you're trying to talk about something that's not going to connect, you don't have a true understanding of your market, then that's going to be the challenge. Now, that can then gets to me to the point of the content that resonates. What I'm hearing is that it seems that the best content for the best podcast is interviews like this, mm -hmm. where I can learn and dig into your life and we can have just this conversation like we would at coffee. Is that what you see resonates the most because you're talking about COIs and bringing them in? Or have you seen solo people go on and talk about markets, the world? Like, does that resonate as no. well? Or is it more interviewing? No, no, no. And I I've actually, I just got into a fun argument with a really good friend of mine who's done over 10,000 shows, by the way. And he does three solo casts. And I'm like, I don't know how you, now he's been doing it so long that he's built an audience and that's fine. Unless you are a professionally trained actor or actress or thespian or whatever, it's going to be hard to keep somebody's attention for 27 to 37 minutes, right? It's just that simple. Most people want to feel like they're a fly on the wall being privy to a conversation that is important to them. We don't do interviews. We have conversations. Now, are there questions back and forth? Yeah, just like a normal conversation. Hey, how are you doing? That's a question. But that is, the, that is the model that we've worked with, with all of our clients. That's how people stay engaged. And we also want it to be somewhat organic. 
if, if you ask me a question and I answer that question, and then you ask me a question that has nothing to do with the answer, there's just not that level of flow. And, and that's why I say this is art, Matt. I can't stress that enough. Great interviewing, great conversations are art. StoryCorps from NPR is a wonderful, wonderful example. Where they launched this, I don't know, it's like almost 15, 20 years ago, maybe by now. And they've been distilling these conversations. Those are archived in the National Archive as points of time of real people's lives. Matt, if you, as a host of the show, can get somebody to disclose something about themselves that makes that audience have a connection with that guest, you have done a great job as a host. And that's the ultimate goal, so that you feel that connection, you feel like you're a fly on the wall, and you feel like you're participating passively in something that you're interested in. That resonates a lot with me being on, I've been on both sides of podcasting, right? The one as a host and the one as a guest. And to the ones that when I'm a guest, and it's just like he's going, he or she's going through just a list of questions. It's like, you don't care what I say. So why do I want to invest time and thought into my responses to you? But the ones that I have connected with is like, we go deep. And like, then I open up and I, it's like called like the gift of going second. You talk and then you let them go second, they open up. And I think that that's a real, that's a real, like you said, it's an art. And when I think about the investment of time to make podcasting good is, is an investment in understanding your other, your other individual on the podcast as preparation. And I think too many people just come in and are like, I'm just going to ask these four questions, but that's it. It's like, you've got to be a really good questioner and a listener because too many people are afraid of going like off track to someone that says, I cha- I'm challenged in that. How can they become better in that way, especially when they have a mic in front of them, which seems so intimidating to so many people? I think this is a, there's two life lessons here that I think are wildly applicable in the world of podcasting. The first one is, if you feel like you've been talking too long, you probably have been. Number two, listen to listen, don't listen to respond. I, when I'm on my, when I do our show and when I'm interviewing people, I have their picture up if we don't have cameras. I've scanned their LinkedIn. I've taken a look at what their last three or four posts are. I've been on their website. I'll read their bio and that's it. And I'll have people who will come on the show and they're really nervous and uncomfortable. And I'm like, look, here's the deal. Number one, it's not live. Okay. So if you make a mistake, don't worry about it. All you have to do is say stop. But that's the pregame stuff. So I don't want to get too deep into the weeds there. But you have to mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally prepare for your show. This is a show. I want everybody to understand that. This is this is entertainment, jazz hands and all. I physically prepared for this show before I ever came on. I made sure my my voice was warmed up. I made sure that I didn't have like peanut butter in my mouth. I knew what I was going to talk about. I reviewed my talking points. I reviewed who you were and I'm mentally prepared for it. But then I leave that and then my job, either as a host or a guest, is to be fully present. There's no nothing else on any of the other screens. My phone is across the room. I am here with Matt. You are my 100% focus. So if you listen to listen, not listen to respond, and also if you feel like you've been talking too long, you probably have been. Those are two humongous things that I think, by the way, would make a world the better place instead of just being behind the mic. 
Well, hell, I mean, that'd make you a better advisor, right? <laughs> that's that's that. Those are two rules to live by as an advisor. We try to talk our clients to understanding us as opposed to listening to understand them and better relate to them. And I think that that is a a challenge that we can all overcome over time. And you know, if I were to switch gears for a second, right, is to say, if we have to listen, we need to be good listeners, not listen to ask questions and not listen to fix, but to understand and relate. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable at times. And so I'm, I'm curious, just from your experiences as a podcaster, you know, can you think back to one of those experiences where vulnerability was like, at its utmost, where you saw it the biggest and, and it just made this like impact that you were like, holy crap, like this was an impact because I think vulnerability makes amazing podcasts in my mind. It's interesting that you say that because our industry has shunned vulnerability from inception. Never ask a question you don't know the answer to. You need to maintain control in all of your client meetings. You need to make sure that you're communicating this, 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 this. You have to show them that you're doing things. If not, your fees, blah, blah, blah. It's all a whole, it's all hooey, by the way. That is all of the greatest advisors. They are vulnerable. They are who they are. They have the best client relationships. They have the best retention level and the best level of referrals. I recently interviewed a woman named Lizetta Braxton, who's a diversity and uh, equity inclusion expert. There was something about the beginning of the show, and I don't even know what happened, but it was really funny. But at the end of the show, we were, and I was like, okay, and I'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon, which is my closing, blah, blah, blah. And Letta, Lizetta goes, what just happened? I said, I, you know, here's the deal. You said so many unbelievably brilliant things. And she's like, well, can you tell me what they were? And I was like, no, because if I if I was paying attention to what you had said, then I wasn't going to be able to help you figure out the next thing that you were going to say. And she came up to me at a conference recently. In fact, I just talked to her today. Um, she's I just she's an amazing human being. She came up to me at a conference. She said, "I actually went back and listened to our show." And she said, "Boy, you and I talked about stuff, and neither of us even knew what we talked about." And she brought up like two or three points, and she said. The most important thing that we have to remember, she's an advisor. The, the most important thing that we have to remember as an advisor, it's not advisor client. It's not advisor prospect. It's human to human. And she said, Matt, you said that. Do you remember saying that? I was like, I don't remember saying that, you know, but I don't believe that, that anybody creates great content unless there is a little bit of Matt's fairy dust that's sprinkled in everything. And the only way that happens is truly being vulnerable. But the only way that you can be vulnerable, my friend, is you have to be okay with who you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a stigma, and I think it's an older stigma. We're getting away from it slowly that as industries that we have to be someone we're not really. And if you are your real person where you show you're scared or you show you're worried that you are a, you're a lesser advisor and you're not as good. And that then gets me to an article that you wrote about good versus bad expertise marketing, right? And things that can damage. And I, I just feel that this world that we're in today can see through your BS. And I mean, it is just like, just be who you are. And if people don't want to sign up with you or follow you, like, all right, there's plenty of people that will. And if they don't, you know, it's okay. Why do we have to have this world where everybody's trying to be someone they're not? 
and improve to those people. And I'm curious what you found when you explained to our audience, which some of the things that you wrote about some of those bad things that you can do to, to ruin your image and, and ruin your, your following base and, and everything of that nature. So first off, you're, you're really, really spot on when it comes to, you know, understanding that you're not going to please everybody all the time. Things have really changed in financial services since I've been involved early on in financial services. You took everybody you could, who could ever fog a mirror because one, you either had to because of the way that you were paid or number two, um, it was a scarcity mindset, right? And we in financial services has had the worst scarcity mindset in a really long time. I believe that if you are fundamentally who you are, you have zero competition and people will be drawn to you if you allow them to see you, all right? That's good marketing. That's it. That's that's the soups to nuts good marketing. Be yourself. Be who you are. Um, understand that you still have work, that you can always get better, smarter, faster, stronger. Absolutely. But don't just get complacent. Like, ah, I love who I am. I'm not going to do anything. No, no. We're here to grow. That's the journey that all of us are on. Every day you wake up on this planet and you're still alive, it's a chance to grow and you need to take that advantage. Bad marketing is not knowing who you're talking to, right? That's the thing that drives me absolutely crazy. I just spoke at a conference recently and I said, uh, hey, I want somebody out here to tell me who, what their niche is or their niche is. And this person raises their hand and said, um, women. I said, this 51% of the population. That is not a niche. And they're like, what, 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 do you, what, do you, what do you mean? I'm like, you just, that's actually the majority of the population in North America. That can't be a niche. Let's go ahead and start focus. So not knowing who you're talking to, uh, number one, is, is vital. And number two is not being consistent. Right. You don't have to have a podcast every week. Hell, you don't have to have a podcast every other week, but you need to set a cadence that's predictable because people like clear expectations. Matt's going to come out with a show on this day, this time of the month. Here's what it's about. People like that predictability. It's why people listen to the same music over and over again. It's why they watch reruns. My wife watches Schitt's Creek, The Office, and Parks and Rec. Right. Oh, and Ted Lasso. So those are, I mean, that's it. Like that's what's on our TV all the time. She's seen the shows hundreds of times. There is comfort in that. And we need to remember that that's also great marketing. <laughs> all great shows. And I think about um, just watching reruns because my wife is you know, friends and all those types of shows. And we've seen them all like Seinfeld. Like I, we know exactly what's going to happen there, but predictability is there. And you mentioned building a niche. Right. And, and I, I do have another question I want to go back to on vulnerability, but uh, a lesson of not asking 4000 questions like I did earlier to you at one time, building a niche. How does how do you recommend coming from a marketing standpoint, especially in this industry where we all were like, well, we just need to gather as many assets as we can. We need to stay afloat. We're going to help everybody. And now someone's telling me to buy it, build a niche and I have to say no to someone when I remember those days when I couldn't put food on the table. How do we go about building an effective niche today? First off, if you have a niche, that doesn't mean you say no to everybody. So that's a total misnomer that I really mm. wish we could get out of here, right? Um, in fact, you find people who are not within your niche, and if you do it correctly, it makes them feel even more special and you'll get more referrals. Hey, look, Matt, here's the deal. I don't normally work with people who are chemical engineers, and let me tell you why, because uh, they're so detail-oriented and I don't want to have to explain every single solitary thing to you, but there's something about you that I really, really like. I think that we can work together and I'd love to have the opportunity to help you. Normally, I work with orthopedic surgeons, 
And let me tell you why I normally work with orthopedic surgeons. And then you go through your thing. So how do you find a niche is the next level question there. Well, the best way to do it is who do you actually love to work with? Like when you, when your phone rings, which that still happens, or you get an email, you have generally two, maybe three feelings. The first one is, oh God, like I got this, this person again. Number two is, okay, that's fine. And number three is, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to eight paragraphs. I love you. Emojis, all of that sort of stuff. That's your niche. And then you look at that person or those people, and then you start looking at their demographics and psychographics, which by the way, we've got a whole bunch of free tools on the Pod Rocket Academy that breaks some of the stuff down for you guys, totally free, 100% free, um, that will help you figure this stuff out. Because it really is that second, third, fourth layer question. And then all of a sudden, you have an issue. I'm gonna tell you a very quick story. I was at Podcast Movement, the largest podcasting convention in North America, 3,000 nerds like me about podcasting. And we, uh, this woman was taking our short form assessment, which is something that we were uh, just rolling out at this thing, which is like, it's like um, 20 questions take about six minutes. And it really makes you focus on, are you doing the right activities to be influential? And she said, Matt, I scored a 15 out of a hundred. She's like, that means I suck. I said, no, 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 it doesn't mean you suck. First off, now you know where you are and you, now we can figure out where you're going. I said, but the second thing is, here's why you scored so low. Who's your audience? Well, Matt, I podcast to everybody. I was like, do you have any idea how hard it is to market to everybody? And you know how expensive it is to market to everybody? I said, let's start breaking this down. So I said, close your eyes right now, and I want you to think of who you would love to be sending your message to. So she answered that question. She's like, women over the age of 50. Okay. Out of those women over the age of 50, are there any physical characteristics that come to mind immediately? And she said, yeah, people of color. Okay, now we're starting to get there. What is their life like? That was the question. I didn't get specific. What is their life like? And she said, well, you know, their kids are getting a little bit older. They're kind of, they've lost their identity. I mean, it, Matt, she just gave it to me, dude. I said, there's your target market. Tell me what you just said. And she's like, I'm, I'm working with women who are over 50, who are people of color, who are about to be empty nesters and who are losing their identity. I was like, so now if you went back and took the assessment again, you're going to score 50 plus because now you know who you're talking to. All that comes down to is being led with the right questions, right? It, it kind of reminds me of like a task of saying, hey, here's a blank piece of paper. Go build a business plan or go do this or go draw this. And it's like, uh, I don't know. Like I want to do this. But if you then give them a piece of paper with like a few questions, it's like, boom, 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 boom. And so I think that if someone's struggling to find their niche, they need to go to like, go to your website and do that questionnaire because that's how you can help find who you are. You just need to have some of those questions and be reflective. It's, you need, you need a partner yeah. at this. At some, you right? know, when I was a therapist, you know, everybody's always like, you have to journal, you have to journal, you have to journal. And I, I fell into that. And I, I can people these blank books and be like, here's a journal. You know, I want you to write down every day at the end of the day, what you're grateful for, blah, blah, blah. Grateful is journal, everybody, whatever. And everybody would come back and they didn't have anything in their journal. And I was like, okay, so why is this? Well, the problem is, is because they're staring exactly what you just said at a blank page. So what we would do in therapy before we left is I'd like you to open up your pet and I just write down a couple of things that you were grateful for about therapy today. And then tonight when you go, then you'll finish this up. And all of a sudden, everybody started using their gratefulness journal because I got them to start writing. And we can use that with clients. Clients don't really, that's why you've got to be a good questioner and a listener because 
clients don't really know what they want to do in retirement. They don't know why they're freaked out. And like, if they're freaked out with the markets or whatever, it's like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, I want to sell. Well, why do you want to sell? Well, I just want to be in cash. Well, what do we want to do with cat? Like, when do we want to go back in? What, what do you want to see? And then they start to answer it themselves and they're like, well, shoot, you're, you're right. I guess I don't need to go to cash. And that's just the whole situation that we have to go through with questioning. And with questioning and vulnerability, I, I want to wrap up with this question. And then I want to ask my two questions that I ask all guests and let you get back to changing the world is I sometimes see that we have guests come on that aren't vulnerable. We talked about vulnerability of ourselves, but they're not vulnerable themselves. And it's just like they answer the questions like so straight and narrow. And it's hard to get them to open up. And I think that some people that are coming into the podcast and are going to be worried about that. How do you open them up? How do you get good guests, especially COIs? And like, I think nothing against accountants, like accountants, mm -hmm. but nothing, no offense. I'm good, right? I've said no offense. So <laughs> A couple of times. You're good. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Good. How, how do you recommend helping to get your guests to also be vulnerable because I always feel when I go on the podcast, I'm like, I'm going to open up and share everything because I can care less. Like that's what makes good podcasting. How can we help that for other guests that may be not so much like pregame. Uh, and I can't stress this enough, Matt, you're going to be a guest on our show. So you're going to see all of our pregame stuff. So one of the things that I do is I ask you very simple questions like, you know, hey, send me your headshot. What are your social media things? I'm basically in these documents. I'm warming you up. And then I'm going to say, what do you want me to ask you? So I'm giving you control. That right there is going to break a lot of barriers. But here's the most important thing. Before we ever record, I make you laugh. I have just found that, you know, after doing, I've probably done about a thousand episodes now, that if I can get my guests to laugh, their shoulders drop, their breathing changes, their voice cadence changes. Now I do it with self-deprecating humor or here's the, here's the, here's like, this is the trick of all tricks. I can't believe I'm saying this on your show, but this is such a big trick. You usually have to pay us a lot of money to hear this, but whatever. So here's the trick. I screw up the opening. If I couldn't get you to laugh, I will absolutely slaughter the open, like terrible, like I'll like word salad, make up words. And I'll be like, oh, man, God, you know, and they start laughing and that gets them more comfortable. It's all about setting that clear expectation of a level of comfort. And the more comfortable you come in with the podcast and be vulnerable with them, which is why I decimate the opening or I make them laugh through self-deprecating humor, that just opens them up even more. That is, you just gave us a tip that is probably worth hundreds of thousands of dollars of how to open up. Now, you do this with your clients. So here's the deal, everybody. As the time that we're recording this podcast, the market sucks, right? Uh, things are going crazy. All of the things that advisors are terrified about are happening right now. Inflation's terrible. Interest rates suck. The market's going crazy. All of the things that your advisors can't control are the things that they're the most worried about, right? If your client comes in, you first off, they're concerned about you. Matt, they're concerned about you. And then number two, they're concerned about themselves. It's usually the other way around, but you know what I mean. And if I can get them to laugh or at least show that they're, because you're going to see it, guys. Their shoulder, they're coming in, their shoulders are almost to their ears. They're like really tense, their jaw. If I can get them to relax, that, that, that makes a, an absolute world of difference. I am 100% on that camp. I always use, and it's like the lamest joke, but it always works. And they're always like, "What? when's the market going to come back? Or what's going to be next on the horizon? I'm like, well, let me get my crystal ball out of my drawer here. And they just always laugh. And I say it to the same client like every time. And they know it's coming and they still laugh. And then from that point on, it's like, yeah, you know, you're right. There's like, we don't know. Nobody knows what's going on. Like, I get it. We're good. All right, we'll move on. Amazing advice. 
Matt, I mean, this has been awesome, and I'm I'm super grateful for you joining this podcast. I've learned I've learned a ton. I've learned how to be a better podcaster, and I think I, I fall into that camp of sometimes talking too much, and I think that that's always a good thing to learn. But before I let you go, part of the reason I do these podcasts is not only to share amazing insights from amazing people, but it's because I love to learn, and I love to learn from people also via these podcasts, but also via the books they're reading. So I always ask on this podcast, what's one or two books out there that you're like, gosh, everybody should read this book because it's just incredible. It's Not Easy Being Green by Jim Henson is a book that I have close to me all the time because in Ted Lasso, they quote uh, Walt Whitman, be curious, not judgmental. And I believe that if you go through your day being curious, people want to be around you. And Jim Henson was the epitome of that, right? And it was, you know, he lived in a world of magic on purpose. Hmm. So that's, that's probably that. the book that I have around me. I mean, there's like 8 million business books. So, I mean, that was kind of an open-ended question. But the Jim Henson book is one of the ones that I think is unbelievable. I love that. That's those are the types of books I want to learn. Everybody says like, oh, well, you know, good to great and all these other books. That one, that's a great one, right? And I love that you referenced Ted Lasso multiple times. I think that if if we want to all be better people, just watch that show yep. and just dive into it. Just enjoy each other. Like it, it is just an amazing show. So I can't wait to read It's Not Easy Being Green. Now, the last question I ask, and I got this from the Baron conferences that I'm sure you've been at before, but they always ask their guests, what's one piece of actionable advice we can take away from this conversation? So I always ask my podcast guests, what's one piece of actionable advice that you believe our listeners should take away from our conversation we had here today? I think it's the niche. I think that series of questions that I just walked you through in that story and talking to that woman at Podcast Movement, if if every single solitary business owner who's listening to this took themselves through that exercise, their marketing is going to have clarity and focus. They're going to be more successful and they're going to work with the people that they truly want. If you do those things, if you just ask those, those the layers of questions, that's a game changer. Matt. You're amazing. I'm super appreciative of your time. And I know everybody's going to learn something from this podcast, but if they want to continue to learn more about you, about Proudmouth, about everything that you're doing, what's the best way for them to get in touch and stay in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn, to be really honest. I mean, you can go to proudmouth.com, but uh, we post stuff all the time, totally free, lots of value. That's our ultimate goal. I don't sell anything at any time. We give it all away for free. So follow me on LinkedIn at Matt Halloran. If you take, take Matt Haller and podcasts, I think I come up, I'm number one. Uh, but yeah, that that uh, that would be fantastic. And I greatly appreciate it. And I will be more than happy to communicate with anybody who messages me directly through LinkedIn. Awesome. Matt Halloran, you're the man. I really appreciate it. Stay well, be well, and uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 